And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. Anything is potable! Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you after Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics completely blow game five. Uh, in Boston and then go into Milwaukee and Jason Tatum had himself a fourth quarter and led the Celtics to a huge victory over the Milwaukee Bucks to force a game seven game seven is tomorrow or maybe today as you're listening to this Sunday Jay King you were there in Milwaukee what was it like what was the Jason Tatum performance like what was your biggest takeaway from that game well, I think just the weight of his performance is and the 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 leverage of the moments in which he came through stood out the most. Um like it just takes a lot to win a game in this series. I, like just an incredible amount to win a game in this series. These are two tough tough teams and they just keep going at each other and at each other and at each other and for I mean, early in that fourth quarter, it felt like it was happening again. Game five all over. Giannis even hit the long three. And I think the whole crowd in Milwaukee is like, yep, yep, it's happening again. <laughs> These assholes on the Celtics are going to crater. It's it's coming. The series is over. And Tatum was just ridiculous. That, that shot he hit. Two seconds left on the shot clock, inbounds play. Drew Holiday, one of the best defenders in the league on him. Fade away, swish. Next possession, Bucks come back and actually score. Tatum comes back, three ball in, I believe it was George Hill's mug. Then comes back, scores again, and it's just like, it, it was incredible. It was an incredible performance. The, the and the third one was like the one-legged fadeaway over the top of Drew Holiday again. It's like Jesus Christ! <laughs> like this dude, it wasn't just he was hitting shots; he was hitting ridiculous shots, like super, super tough shots. And and he held off Milwaukee, and it, it came after a game five that really could have torn apart the Celtics. Like that was just a devastating loss. Um, and so to kind of to have the guts to finish it off on the road in Milwaukee and the way that Tatum did it especially was just 
really yeah really it impressive. was kind of wild how similar though game four and, or game five and six were with the celtics playing like very solid basketball and i thought doing a uh, a pretty good job in the first three quarters uh like the celtics defense has been fantastic here like against the bucks the entire series and i thought they just did uh, uh i've done a great job the entire series it feels like anytime their offense breaks down and they're not able to get good shots or they start turning the ball over, that's when they allow the Bucks to kind of get back in this game. And the difference between games five and six is that the offense was really not great, uh, and they just really turned the ball over a lot in that uh, game five fourth quarter. Uh, additionally, a bunch of offensive rebounds, um, they gave up those. But then game six, it felt like, not like they figured out the Bucks defense because the 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 Bucks like basically the fourth quarter has to come down to both teams going small. The Bucks um, start switching pick and rolls way more often. It's basically just one on one, and I don't the they didn't really figure it out. It was just like all right, Jason Tatum, go be great, and that's what he did in Game Six, and like that's I think what's going to have to happen in Game Seven because I feel like the the same story is going to happen. The this it's going to come down to both teams being small. Um, Giannis is going to be amazing, probably have something near 40 points, but, uh, it's whether or not the Celtics can get kind of the consistent offensive production, uh, against that smaller bucks lineup that will dictate, you know, whether they can get back and set their defense, uh, and whether they can kind of maintain that lead because in game five, they were getting basically nothing on offense. And that really allowed the bucks to crawl back into that game even in a game where Giannis wasn't even didn't even play that well down the stretch yeah I, I thought one of the main differences in game six beyond Tatum touching God was just that the Celtics took care of the ball they didn't have a single turnover in the fourth quarter they only gave up one offensive rebound in the fourth quarter and and in this series, like it's hard to exaggerate the importance of Boston taking care of the ball. Because it feels like Milwaukee's best offense, and I think Seth Partnow t- tweeted this last night, Milwaukee's best offense has often been Boston's oh, offense. Yeah. Dumb turnovers. <laughs> like, when, whenever Boston's offense is bad, the dumb turnovers, the bad shots, Giannis is out the other way, and Giannis is Euro-stepping by people, or Giannis is barreling through people to the hoop or Giannis is drawing a foul or Pat Connaughton is getting open for three. And, and that that's been like every time the Celtics are able to play good, good offense, their defense has been amazing. And, and it's every other time that, that they've kind of had a lot of trouble with Giannis, let, let guys get three pointers um, so just taking care of the ball was a huge part. I, I, I felt on, on top of all the Tatum shot making. Um, and then I just thought like, I, I know that Tatum, like some of the shots were just ridiculous, but part of it felt like him realizing like, okay, Drew Holiday is an amazing defender, but he's six, four or whatever he is. And Tatum has a four or five inch height advantage. And, you know, those other guys, like Wes Matthews, he he works his tail off, like tough as hell. He makes things tough. 
But like Tatum, I, I feel like he just decided these guys like they can't they can't stop me. And and he let them impact him earlier in the series. Game six was was on his terms. The before the fourth quarter even happened, like Bucks cut it to nine at the end of the third. Tatum gets the ball, ser- searches for Grayson Allen, gets the switch, and just bullies him. Like, post up, takes a contact. Grayson bumps back like four or five feet, and Tatum just finishes a bucket. And it just feels like they've gotten much better at attacking the, or Tatum has gotten much better at attacking this Bucks defense, figuring out where he can get the switches, how he can get the switches. And even when he's on Matthews, even when Holiday's on him, um, he's just been super aggressive since that game three stinker that he had. Yeah, and just going to the rim and I think attacking the smaller guy, I think has been huge for him. I think also I Tatum got some criticism in game five, I think, just for taking too many threes. I actually thought he took some fairly decent threes just in terms of like taking them in rhythm against a drop coverage, but his just shot making in game four, or I mean, game, I I feel like I've messed up the games every single time I mentioned it. in game six, seven of 15 from three. It was just phenomenal. Like the sidestep over Portis. I think you mentioned the one over uh, George Hill. It just opens up so much for him when he's able to do that. And, um, I thought the Celtics did a very good job of the guys not named Jason Tatum still contributing on offense. There was that ATO, uh, I think, with five minutes left where they what a great call by like, Udoka. Yeah, made it look like they're going to do a Tatum post up, um, and basically then run Jalen off a double screen, getting a wide open three. Uh, I think the Jalen had some big buckets in the fourth quarter. I also think that that was a perfect Udoka call. Before we move on from that, like used the fear that the Bucks had at that moment of Jason Tatum and how hot he was to get Jalen Brown an ass naked three pointer. <laughs> ass naked. Like it it was it was perfect. Like he knew, okay, Tatum is going so well that the Bucks are just going to freak out as soon as he catches a ball in the post. They are going to think he's going to shoot. And they use him as a decoy. And and I think that speaks to Tatum's development too, because last year, two years ago, he shoots that. <laughs> Let's be honest. Even if the play is for somebody else, that bitch is going up. And uh, so, yeah, sorry for cutting you off, but I feel like that play deserved a little more mention. Yeah, and it's it's they kind of need that because Tatum's going to get all the attention. But I think there are some other moments in the fourth quarter that I think should you should be hopeful as a Celtics fan in that. Just creating some offense that wasn't necessarily reliant on just Jason Tatum being a beast. Um, and I think it happened in the in the second half too, is with but it's Marcus Smart and Derek White driving. And they have to do that. They have to drive to score with like the mentality to score. But if they do that, it just creates so much more options. And I thought the Celtics, uh, Derek White and Marcus Smart specifically, just did a good job of attacking uh especially in that smaller lineup and then drive and kick, drive and kick. Uh, I thought Derek White probably I was the most aggressive he's been in the series and I thought had his best game from an offensive perspective. Scored zero points, uh, I think, in the second half, but I just think he just did a lot for the the ball movement for the Celtics. Um, 
And I think it's going to be super necessary, especially in those smaller lineups, just for, you know, once the ball swings out of Jason Tatum's hands, having players like Smart and White probe the defense, get into the paint and kind of create looks for the other guys um, rather than just relying on Jason Tatum going one on one. Yeah, it's fun to watch the Celtics kind of use those two guys because the Bucks, like they really don't have a lot of defenders with a decent chance guarding Tatum or Brown. It's basically Wes Matthews, Drew Holiday, and maybe on some possessions, Pat Connaughton. Other than that, George Hill has been just chopped meat. Grayson Allen, like, sorry, bro. You're, you're not good enough to defend these guys. Um, and Bobby Portis, same thing. So the the Bucks are going out of their way to try to avoid switches on on with White's guy. And that just sets him up with sort of like the the Draymond fast break, you know, where it's like you double double send two at Tatum, and all of a sudden Derek White has a head of steam and he's in the paint and the Bucks are scrambling to react to that. And so I think White's done a great job driving with physicality. He's done a great job of being smart. That the end of that second quarter, like he he really steadied the Celtics when the Bucks were trying to get back in that game. And he took the third he took the charge that was Giannis's third foul. He had the was the sneak attack on Giannis in that quarter of the third. I forget. I think it was in the third. That was shades of Jose Alvarado. Um, but he just had a bunch of plays down the stretch of the second quarter to to push the Celtics back into a pretty comfortable lead. I think it was nine at the break, and like, and Smart too. Smart was just the response from the end of Game Five, which he said ate him alive. Was he didn't just, sleep. The man he said, didn't forget sleep. Maybe your he sleep never science. Sleep. <laughs> yeah, maybe he, he said, should never sleep again for the birds. He might he might want to never sleep again. Yeah, no, I thought his same. performance early on was huge. The response, just the Celtics' three point shot making, um, was big for them early. It was all threes early. In the first quarter, they were eight of fifth for eight of fifteen from three. That was eight, and eight of their ten field goals were from three. And Marcus Smart was four of six. Uh, I thought that was huge for them and kind of opened up opportunities for the Celtics later on to get them to attack the paint more. The Celtics did not have any uh, free throw attempts in that first quarter, but then you kind of saw uh, teams be able or the them to attack more. Still not a lot of free throws for the Celtics in this game until late, but I thought they did a very good job um, just of probing the paint more and just attacking. It's so hard. With just Giannis looming back there, I think they're like once they he got in foul and trouble. Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez has been interesting because he's been like very good as this kind of defensive deterrent, um, but then he just doesn't play. Like he got, he did not play in the fourth quarter whatsoever, and so he completely just becomes not a part of the game, um, which is a uh, kind of a wild thing because you feel like he's such a part of the defensive identity, but it's really these past two games. It's become, all right, 
Giannis at the five, Derek White in. Like this is going to be a small lineup, um, and who can win the battle that way? I why I don't do they not know. play Javon Carter? I it's interesting, be, like because they want to surround Giannis with the uh, I guess better shooters. They like the thing that's interesting is that Giannis but like George Hill is not shooting. <laughs> I. I that's a fair point. I don't know. I, I can't explain why George Hill is playing over uh, Javon Carter. I think Bud was but, asked that after the game, and he just said, well, we, we kind of like George Hill. But and, and other than and, that, I don't have an answer. In George Hill's defense, I, I thought there were some moments earlier in the series where he was just kind of left behind defensively. But like some some of those shots were just... Tatum doing awesome things, you know, like the the step back he had over Hill. Who's guarding that? Who? Not Javon Carter. But and and, and that's kind of how I feel. Like Javon Carter was great in the first couple games with his ball pressure, everything like that. Um, but at some point, like he's a six foot guard who has very limited offensive talent, and so the fact that I and others are even calling for Javon Carter and think that he should be in the series just goes to show how little depth on the perimeter the Bucks have right now with Chris Middleton out. Like Javon Carter is fine. Javon, I love Javon Carter's game. He's a tough, 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 tough dude. But Javon Carter is normally not the answer. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if Javon Carter being in the game solves the Bucks. Uh, kind of problems on offense. The like, Giannis is amazing. Giannis is pretty much unstoppable. I have multiple people texting me during both Game Five and Game Six, being like, "Why doesn't Giannis just drive every time? Because it seems like he can score every single time." I think the Bucks' issue is that other than Pat Connaughton, he's they really don't have this series. He's been amazing. Uh, his ability to catch and shoot and not bring the ball down has been ridiculous. And then the number of uh, multiple up and under drives that I just thought he had no angle on and was able to get um, some nice buckets on. That one really finish kept- he had in the fourth quarter was ridiculous. The The reverse, like hanging whatever. That was a great description. The reverse hanging whatever. <laughs> I think it was a layup, um, some might call it. <laughs> the, I, it was more of a hanging whatever. But I think that's like Giannis uh, actually was not great down the stretch in game five. He, he hit that three, which I think the Celtics are going to beg him to take, and they begged him to take in game six, and he still hit it again. But game five, it was really Drew Holiday stepping up and hitting some ridiculous baskets. But Drew Holiday was not as effective uh, in game six. Giannis had how many points? But nearly nearly half of the he scored forty four, and the rest of the team scored fifty one. Like the they're gonna need to get production from other guys. Pat Connaughton is doing his job. He was fourteen points in Game Six. Drew Holiday, not great as he is. His offensive performance has varied wildly. Um, but in their kind of closing lineup, it's. Giannis obviously going to do a lot. Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, and then 
Bobby Portis, who's just, if he's not backing down a smaller guy, like any shot Bobby Portis takes, I think is a win. And then Wesley Matthews, who you just don't expect to really do anything. The the Celtics, like really, if they if they don't turn the ball over, they should be like very competitive in this game because their half court defense has been damn good, and the, and Giannis just really doesn't have a lot of help at this point. Oh yeah, you look at even Holiday; he's averaging twenty one points, six rebounds, six assists in this series. He had obviously the stretch in Game Five where his defense just really, really dominated the the final minute or so of that game he's shooting 35 percent from the field he's shooting 34 percent from three like there, there's just a lot on him right now and I don't think like obviously the efficiency just hasn't been there um and and they kind of need him to try to create they need him to to be their secondary guy and it's just a lot to ask of him against this Celtics defense um and so, I mean, Giannis from a from a night to night basis is kind of the only guy they can rely on offensively. So uh, I guess Connaughton has been too. Con- it, it really is crazy, like how high he's able to catch it and not dip at all and just shoot that thing and still make it. I don't know how he has rhythm that way. It's it's pretty spectacular to watch, and it allows him to shoot over like some tough contests. He's he's really really become a good shooter. When a couple of years ago, that was one of the knocks on his game. Connaughton, that dude's gonna make a lot of money. He definitely. Uh, it's interesting. He's just from Arlington, pissing off probably friends and family just with how well he's played here in this series. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I think the question is like looking forward to a game seven. Giannis put up 44 and 20. Was 14 of 15 from the line. I don't know if that changes uh, in Boston, but like, can he be better? Like, I think the Celtics, I'm like pretty confident. I've been fairly confident in the Celtics this entire series just because I feel like if they don't turn the ball over, and it's so huge, like the turnovers just are such an important thing. They're if massive. They, don't turn, they are massive. If, if they don't turn the ball over, it feels like the formula points to the Celtics. Like they should just, if they can limit the Bucks transition or fast break points and make it a half court basketball game, they can win ugly. Uh, if they happen to have like a pretty solid shooting night or have a night like they did in game two where they can build a big lead, they could win easy. Because I just don't know 
what like I yes, I think Giannis could even score fifty, but I don't know like how. Is there another level to Giannis right now where he's just like better than he's been because he's been pretty damn dominant, and the Celtics have still held the Bucks to like under a hundred points in most of these games. Yeah, I don't think there's another level like. There is no level above where he's playing right now. No, he's 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 he is it's not just, touching God. He is God at this point. Yeah, and so no, no, that not even that he can't raise like nobody can raise their game to another level. He has been against the best defense in the league, utterly unstoppable. The the thing to me, like you said turnovers man like the first first quarter of game six the celtics had four turnovers the bucks scored eight points off of those and Giannis has 17 points in the quarter partly because the celtics were setting him up to do so and when he is in transition like all of a sudden he's drawing free throw like it's just impossible he, he's impossible to stop and that dude I think Jalen Brown said it. He's like, yeah, he doesn't tire like normal people do. <laughs> he just he just keeps coming. He really but does I, keep coming. It's incredible to I watch. I thought he was tired in game five. Like, that's why I thought, like. That was game four, right? Game No, I thought he was. Well, I thought he was tired in both game four and game five. Like, down the stretch in game five, well, he game really f- did not do much, uh, like, other than hitting that three. It was, like, a lot of other things. And the Celtics really blew that game with like a number of bad luck things and bad turnovers. Again, coming back to the turnovers. But it must be like my answer to when people text me is like, why doesn't Giannis drive every time? It must be exhausting to try like to put up 30 field goals in a game, 25 of them just being like hurling yourself towards the rim, definitely getting contact every single time, ending up on the floor. Like, I think Kevin O'Connor tweeted out, like, Giannis needs to take 40 field goals in Game 7. I'm sure he's capable of that. That just must be some of the most exhausting work there, like, is on a basketball court. And, like, and, if anyone and, is capable, it's him, but that's still wild. And not only that, but the way he plays and the way the Celtics play defense, he risks an offensive foul, like, 75% of the time he shoots, you know? And so if he does shoot 40 times, he also needs to av- avoid, you know, the Derek Whites, the Marcus Smarts, the Grant Williamses. Even even Jalen Brown tried to take a charge. Jalen Brown almost never tries to take charges, but he tried on Giannis in in game six. And and so that that's another factor on top of it. Like staying out of foul trouble, the amount that he drives and the the great defense or defenders that the Celtics have, like he's always at risk of picking up a foul. And, and I thought it was weird because when he picked up his fourth in the third quarter, obviously that should be a good thing for the Celtics. Um, and I thought it actually went the other way. Like instead of just running their offense, they decided let's go at Giannis. Let's try to get him in the action. It's like, bro, he... <laughs> He, he's an unreal defender. Like, whoa. <laughs> Why are you going at this guy? And I thought he kind of he didn't like fully engage during that um stretch just because he wanted to avoid fouls obviously. But I just felt like 
they really bogged down. That was the one stretch where they really bogged down and got ISO heavy in a way that they were just stagnant. And I, I think Ime Odoka called it uh, their offense was heavy, which was perfect to script. Like it really, it was a heavy stretch for their offense while they were trying to target the best defender on the court. It made like I get trying to pick up Giannis's fifth and trying to get him out of the game and and all of that. But there's also the other side of it, which is like that dude who's pretty unbelievable on on defense. Maybe go at like Grayson Allen instead, you know? Yeah, I if you're gonna try and target Giannis, like try to do some grifting on the other end of the court. Like I was as so fine with Grant Williams like trying to draw that uh charge. That was close. That was close. I was extremely close. I thought it was very Similar to the call that was reviewed uh, with, I think it was Jalen and Drew in game five. Um, I thought Ime should have challenged the challenge on both occasions because I I, uh, am completely biased. But um, I was like, I'm completely fine with Marcus Smart trying to draw like flop and get those calls on that end of the court. Like that is where if you're going to draw fouls on Giannis, that's where it's going to come from. I thought they could have done more in the uh, earlier in the game just to like put a body on him, but I guess Grant Williams was in foul trouble. Um, what have you thought about Grant's performance? Because he had the huge shooting in the, earlier in the series that has just not existed anymore. It feels like he exists merely at this point to uh, take some fouls on Giannis, uh, and so Al Horford doesn't foul out like that, and. Late in the games, it's they've gone to Derek White, but they're still um, starting with Grant Williams, and we should talk about uh, Robert Williams. But let, like, what do you think of Grant and how he's played? Uh, uh, I guess over these past couple of games, I think two things. One, it's probably incredibly exhausting to defend Giannis as much as he is, and and to do it while playing more minutes than he's probably ever had in his NBA career. He averaged 24 minutes per game during the regular season. I I don't know exactly what he's up to in this series, but ever since Robert Williams has been out, it's been more than that. Uh, and those are just tough minutes. And so I, I think that's probably part of why he hasn't had the same shooting success um that said like taking a larger sample he's still shooting 37 percent for the series uh i i felt like in game six there were some he just passed up some uh and and drove instead and he was making good decisions it didn't really hurt the celtics but he only took one three and and i felt like there were more available to him so I don't know whether he's in his head at this point. I don't know whether he just decided we can get those shots whenever against the, this Bucks defense. Let's keep moving it. Let's let's try to get something better. Uh, but I I do feel like it was more of a passive shooting performance than he's probably had pretty much all season. He's he's been very confident letting it fly this year. Yeah, I I like. You want him to be more aggressive there, but I think you're also there feels like the Celtics have really drilled into just like not taking 
not taking the first three that the Bucks give you because the Bucks are very, very willing to give you a, above the break threes. And so if it's Grant's in the corner, he should absolutely let it fly. I kind of understand the hesitation, catching above the break, maybe pump faking. I thought he did a good job of um, driving. He actually got to the line a couple times and doing that. Uh, and I think his, what he had, he had 28 minutes in game six, five fouls. I think it's just very important for him to basically do that again. Yes, you're not going to play in the fourth quarter. Probably not. The Celtics are going to go small. But make it hard as possible for Giannis to just be as great as he is. You've got to, like, those five fouls, make it, maybe even six fouls need to be hard fouls, make Giannis earn them. And I think it's just, like, takes a, a toll on what um, he can do late. And so... I think Grant's been it's been frustrating because he hasn't been making his shots, but I do think that's a very important purpose, especially with Robert Williams not playing, like just the depth that the Celtics have. Like Al Horford has been basically matching Giannis's minutes uh pretty much for the entire game save a How few minutes. How is he here in good enough shape to do it? It's crazy. I d- it makes no sense. Like we talk about Giannis not tiring. How does Al Horford still out there at his age? It's nuts, and and granted, his offensive production has fallen off since his huge game. He's he no had longer two, making two points, every single shot. Yeah, two points in game six, but that's partly because of just how great he was in game four. the The Bucks have switched up; they're switching more often. They're they're not leaving that pick and pop as available. They're not playing Brook Lopez in some of the high leverage situations. And and so that's part of the reason why his points have gone away. To to deal with Giannis as much as Horford has at age thirty five, it's 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 ridiculous, man, that that he's able to and and, and Giannis went for forty four. Giannis went for forty four, but he wanted sixty. <laughs> but he he was aiming for seventy. You know he. he and and Horford has done a great job of standing up in that matchup, making things tough on Giannis, um, and and kind of just just battling him so that Giannis can't totally do it with ease <laughs> throughout the whole game. I, in, I, I've, in game I, six, Hor- uh, Giannis took thirteen shots with Horford as the primary defender and only hit five of them. One of them was a three. Like that's about as good as you're gonna. If you're holding Giannis to 38 percent as the primary defender. That's insane. Yep, Al Horford, like his his conditioning has just been unreal. Like big men never play a ton of minutes, you know, and. But he he's playing just about 40 every night against the most physical dude in the entire league. And still playing well in the fourth quarter. It's incredible. It really is. Do we think he's going to have any help in the form of Robert Williams? Like, there's kind of, it's been weird because they said he's out of game. Did he play in game four or not? He did. I think he's missed the last three games, but he was out of game four, and they were like, yeah, we expect him back for five. And then he was out of game five, and they're like, yeah, we expect him back for six. And then he's out of game six. At this point, I feel like you have to expect he's not going to play game seven. 
if he did happen to play, I guess we have no idea how effective he could be, but it feels like, I don't know, Robert Williams at 80% is going to be so much more impactful than whatever the 10 minutes of Daniel Tice gives you, even though Tice Daniel was Tice has been phenomenal. Good, man. In, in Game 5, Daniel Tice was uh, amazing, but he's just not the physical force and the kind of de- defensive deterrent that I think Robert Williams would be. I mean, he just doesn't help as much as I think Rob would, especially and on the I, glass. Like the Celtics have been getting killed on the glass. And I think Robert Williams would definitely help in that regard. And I, they didn't really get killed on the glass in game six. Um, they only gave up, I believe it was seven offensive rebounds on 52 misses. So that, that was very good defensive rebounding percentage in that game. Um, but yeah, and then I think maybe the bigger part of Robert Williams potentially playing, because who knows what to expect from him after an absence, is that the Celtics will probably trust him to play more than Daniel Tice, and you can actually get Al Horford a little break so that he's fresher down the stretch. Like that, that could be the most important part of Robert Williams potentially playing because. I don't know that they're going to stay big very often. Like, I don't think they would play Horford and Robert Williams together very much. seems like they found some success going small. They like going small against this Bucks team and spreading them out and, and making their lesser defenders really guard. Um, but I do think, you know, if you can get Horford from 38 minutes down to 34 or 35, that could make a big difference down the stretch of what could be a very close game seven. Yeah, it's like that's that stretch at the start of the fourth quarter where I think Ime had both Tice and Peyton Pritchard in the game, and it was like, oh, I don't know if this is the solution, Ime, but you just like understand you need to give the guys some bit of rest. Um, yeah, and Al Horford, if he can play closer to 34 minutes and maybe you have a, a lineup with Grant and Rob out there, I think it'd be a lot more effective. Let's be honest, though. Ime will probably play Al 40 minutes no matter what. Oh, if it comes down to it, if they need to play <laughs> Al, Ime's going to play Al 40 minutes, and he's going to play Jason Ime's Tatum not really 45 a big minutes. Rest, rest the guys type of coach. No, and nor should he be. This is a uh, this is ride or die. This is an elimination game. Um, that's uh, what it's going to need to happen. I this think series has Celtics, been incredible, hasn't it? Oh my god. Oh, it's been absolutely uh the level of play just, for a second round series is just spectacular. It really feels like and I don't know if I'm just a prisoner of the moment, but it feels similar to the Bucks Nets last year where it's like this is the Eastern Conference Finals. I know that's dismissive of the Heat. I'm going to be dismissive of the Heat, but it does feel like these are two just wildly talented teams playing extremely high level basketball. And every game has been, you just have no idea who's going to win. Other than, I think, game two, it feels like we just have, you just don't know what's going to happen. And it feels like either team has a chance of coming back in the fourth quarter and making a game of it. Like game three, the Celtics played terribly, came back in the fourth quarter, made it a game. Game four, they had a crazy comeback. Game five, the Bucks come back. Uh, and then game six, the Celtics managed to hold off the Bucks, But that was... Game six was a game where it was like uh, they had a 13-point lead with 
four minutes left and I'm nervous as hell just because you just don't know what's going to happen and you feel like like no lead is safe in this series. It's funny you brought up the Bucks net series because there are a lot of parallels to that um, where the in in that series the Bucks were up against the Nets and the Nets had an injured star and the Bucks kind of stubbed their toes a couple of times and didn't really know exactly how to close out games or or win or finish off Kevin Durant and then they figured it out barely <laughs> barely but they figured it out and now the Celtics I feel like they're trying to do the same thing where in a series like this every win you really have to just like like take out the shovel fucking dig dig underneath like miles of concrete <laughs> and drag that sucker out of there it is just an incredible challenge to win even one game in a series like this and and i think at times in this series the celtics haven't risen to like game game 5 they didn't rise to that they they had that at home that's a game you have to win and they didn't offensive they didn't defensive rebound they their offense got stagnant and and so you know if if they do learn those lessons um and get out of this they will be a much better team because of how much the bucks test you and because of how high a level intensity wise focus wise everything else you have to reach just to have a chance of beating them. It's from a possession to possession basis. Those guys just don't make mistakes. And if you make a mistake, they kill you. So I do, if the Celtics do survive this, it will be extremely good for them. And if they don't, then it'll be one of those. They'll just have so many regrets about game three, game five, like, just a couple games that that were right there for the taking and they just couldn't close. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's going to be a wild game seven. Hopefully the basketball gods are shining down on the Celtics for um, not cowering in fear at the in the final game of the regular season, getting game seven on their home court. I would like to think the Celtics can get out to a, a big 
a big lead like they did in game two and make it maybe not as much of a, a heart pounding fourth quarter, but just everything makes me think that this is going to be a close game and it's really going to come down to whether or not Jason Tatum and I think at extension Jalen Brown can make enough plays to kind of just get enough offense in that fourth quarter because Giannis is going to keep coming. I would not be surprised if he scored another 40 points, but it doesn't seem like he's going to have a lot of other help. The Celtics defense is doing an extremely good job of holding the the Bucks to just not that uh, most efficient of a performance. It's just whether or not they can hold on to the basketball, not turn the ball over, and then just get, they got to make big shots late. Like even Jason Tatum's, I don't think the Celtics ran the most efficient offense in game six down the stretch. It was just Jason Tatum being a phenomenal basketball player. And if the Celtics can but not they were turn also, the ball over. They were smart about like getting him in the right positions. And I think even early in that game, like he drove, there was a play in the, I think it was the second quarter, maybe the first. He drove in the pick and roll and Brooke Lopez is right there, kicks out to Marcus Smart, relocates to the corner. Smart realizes, okay, he's got a good matchup. And they attack the matchup that way. And there's just like another level you have to reach against the Bucks, but to take advantage of the matchups. But once you get there, you can get matchups. And I feel like the Celtics have done a much better job of that. Um or did a much better job of that in, in game six. Yeah. I think they, they their offense was clearly a lot sharper in game six, just for uh, toward in the fourth quarter compared to game five, just from the the lack of turnovers alone. And I do think they put Jason Tatum in a better position to make plays. I think just looking forward to a game seven, I think it just feels like it's going to, the script's going to be the same. The Celtics are going <laughs> to enter the fourth quarter with a bit of a lead and it's just going to be, uh, can they do enough, make enough plays on the offensive end, not turn over the basketball to kind of hold off the assault that you expect from Giannis there. I mean, what do you, like, I, I'm hoping for a Celtics blowout, but it's just like everything about this series just feels like this is going to go down to the wire. Yep. This <laughs> is going to be a gritty, nerve-wracking, like just toe-to-toe battle. Maybe they maybe they could uh, acquire Kelly Olynyk just in time. Oh, the Kelly Olynyk Game 7 magic. They're going to need to be who's the who's the prime candidate for a Kelly Olynyk game seven. I could be Grant Williams, um, but I don't know if he's going. to. I think it might be Derek White. Like I feel like if they just considering how much this the Bucks are just going to abandon him, it feels like, and are just not are like willing to let him make plays. It feels like the game is there for Derek White to kind of just step up and. knock down some floaters in the lane. Like he has this, just that weird game in the paint where he just, it never really looks like it's good, but he finds a way to get the ball to go in. If there's going to be a random uh, kind of performer who swings the game, I think my bet would be on Derek White. I'm going Peyton Pritchard. He has not looked great uh, so it, far in the series. It's a random, random, random call that I have almost zero faith in. Uh <laughs> That's exactly he, that's why it's a great pick. But I feel like he's he's had a couple looks in this series. 
hasn't really taken advantage of them. I feel like the threes are there for him. They will be there for him if he makes them. And those could be huge because it feels like Ime's playing him at the start of the fourth quarter now. He knocks down two, just two threes to like extend a Celtics lead before Tatum comes back in or, you know, just to like get the Celtics um, perhaps back in the game. It could be the Peyton Pritchard game. Everything is set up for uh, him. Ultimately, I think it's going to come down to whether or not it's a Jason Tatum game or a Giannis game. Like, Jason Tatum could be both. outdueling Giannis. <laughs> it, it was certainly both in game six, but Tatum had a little bit of the upper hand just because he had more support. But I think it's going to need to be maybe not another 46 from Jason Tatum. Maybe he can get closer to uh, high 30s and Jalen Brown does more. Um, maybe he gets above 32, but it, it eventually... Like, I don't know, like, how many more adjustments there is. It's just, it's game seven. Guys are going to have to play up, be effect, like, just play, play basketball. You know, I'm, I don't, I don't have any more analysis than that. (laughs) They're just going to have to step up and uh, play it, play the old round ball there. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Who plays round ball better uh, down the stretch? You're not going to get any more intelligent analysis than that. Game seven, guys will need to play basketball. I mean, that's what we do here on Anything's Potable. We provide uh, the best cyber analysis. Uh, all right, let's go to some people who have raised their hands in the live room. Tony B, come on down. Tony, thanks for joining us here on Anything's Potable. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having the podcast. I appreciate it. Really nice dialogue and enjoying the information you're putting out there, too. Thank um, you. My Thank question, you. My question is this. Um, by what you watch with the series, and obviously we saw what happened with Miami Philadelphia, do you think whoever wins this series, you know, either Bucks or Celtics, do you see either of these teams beating Miami and going to the finals? Whoever's the winner? Yeah, I, I think the winner of this series will be the favorite against Miami, even though they won't have home court. I have a lot of respect for Miami's defense. I think their defense is unbelievable i think it's up there with the celtics and the bucks defense i just think that the level of shot making from tatum and the level of relentlessness and physicality from Giannis will just be tough for the heat's best players to match uh, and maybe jimmy butler bam out of bio can can do that can get there um but but to me like the way that Tatum tests you offensively the way he's evolved is he puts you in tougher spots than Jimmy Butler just because Jimmy as great as he is he's spectacular he like it's you're okay with letting him shoot you're okay with giving him some stuff whereas with Tatum and Giannis well Giannis just takes what he wants and Tatum like it, it's tougher to take away uh, some of the stuff. So, but I I think that will be another just super physical bloodbath of a series. Who whoever makes it out of of this second round, and and who knows, maybe this second round series will take so much out of Milwaukee or Boston that Miami, who had a much easier run of it against a team a Philadelphia team that seemed pretty ready to fold. Um, could have the upper hand at least early in the series. 
Yeah, no matter what happens, I think Eastern Conference Finals is going to be a grimy, ugly series just because Miami's defense is so good and their offense, I just don't really think it's that great. Um, I think they're able to score against the Sixers because the Sixers defense uh, just can't guard anyone on the wing. Um, but I do think right now this is like the Eastern Conference Finals. It feels like the Celtics and Bucks um, are the two best teams, um, but I'm clearly biased because uh, I – don't believe in heat culture. Um, <laughs> let's go to John O to finish out the show. John, thanks for waiting and joining us here on Anything Is Potable. Hey, thanks guys for having a podcast over the weekend. It's much appreciated. Um, my man. My so, man. Um, what I was confused is is why was um, George Hill playing for the Bucks with Drew Holiday? <laughs> because it seemed it seemed like. Every time Georgia was on the court, it did a mismatch hunt and it was like shooting over a chair basically throughout the whole game. So, like, my question is, like, do you expect, um, do you expect the Bucks to have like a super big lineup where they put Connington into the starting lineup and maybe Portis and have Holiday, Connington, Portis, Giannis, and Lopez and say, hey, we're not going to do drop coverage, we're going to do more switching? Tatum, you can't mismatch as you did in game six. And if so, what do you think the Celtics would do to retaliate? <laughs> I love that question. Why is George Hill? Friend of the pod, George Hill, by the way. He is a friend of the pod. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wouldn't be the hill I would die on, is what uh, I would, if, I, boo, if I were Blue Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have uh, any options. This is where the Middleton injury really hurts because they like who are their best five guys if they've decided they want to go small and don't play Brooke Lopez. It's Drew Holiday, it's Giannis, it's Wesley Matthews, it's Pat Connaughton. I is I think George Hill's a better option than Grayson Allen right now. I I I think it's your man Javon Carter is the only other guy, guy they could possibly turn to in that situation. Yeah, I do wonder if they should try going big, uh, and and maybe that's that's not the answer for them. Uh, maybe like the Celtics just found some stuff out by going small, by driving all those guys, um, by really making it tough for Brook Lopez and to to stay on the court, and even Portis like. He didn't play much for a a little while of this series, um, so I do wonder if they should do that. I also wonder if Javon Carter is worth a look, and I think if Game Seven goes the way that Game Six went for much of the time, like they should probably get to Javon Carter at some point, but. Yeah, I don't know. There's just really no great answer for the Bucks in that spot. I think their big lineups haven't been great, and their small lineups, like they just have holes somewhere. There's just going to be holes somewhere. So, Booten Holzer, he's in a tough spot, and I, I know he he can get kind of stubborn and stick with guys and stick with things beyond probably the the expiration date of those things. But I also think in this case, it's just like there's not much great that he can get to. 
Yeah, I don't know what exactly the answer is that doesn't like I think they George Hill is out there presumably because he's couldn't space the floor and do a little bit more on the ball handler, but I do think he's a kind of hurts them on the defensive end. But any defensive option you put in, whether it's I think Portis or maybe Javon Carter, it just makes it that much harder for Giannis on the other end. And I think it's just like one of the problems for the Bucks in the series, not having Middleton is it just really hurts their depth, but we shall see game seven coming up Sunday in Boston. It's going to be an insane game. I think it's, uh, what this series deserve after six, just absolute rock fights, bloodbaths. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Jay King's looking forward to it. Thanks to everyone who joined us here on the athletic app. Thanks for everyone who's listening at home. Jay King, is Game 7 potable? Oh, hell yeah. And I think it's potable! That was a loud one. You're ready for Game 7. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.